Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and most of 2, says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. And we're going to end the verse there. I know there's more, but let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we turn to your word, we pray that you'd speak it to us, Lord, because you are a God who speaks your word, and you desire that we would understand your word and know your word and be able to communicate your word as you've called us to. So I pray that you would equip each one of us in that, Lord, uh, this morning. Um, just give us understanding uh, as, we, as we look to your word and as we learn how to study it, Lord. And I pray for your grace uh, to be able to communicate clearly this morning. Lord, we want to hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So we're just going to be in this verse for a minute, but it says that God, right, in the time past spoke, right, in various times, different times, different ways to the fathers or those who went before, right, by the prophets. This is referring to the Old Testament, which as you might notice, if you have a paper Bible, is quite large. God spoke to his people, and the author of Hebrews is saying, and then in these last days, he spoke to us again through his son, Jesus. So we see in the Bible, God speaking to his people. And then again, he spoke to his people through his son, Jesus. Now, what was God's purpose in communicating, in speaking to us? It was so that his people would understand what he was saying, right? That is the purpose of communication is so the hearers would understand. And it is no different with God's word. God did not give us the Bible to confuse us. He did not give us the Bible like a mystery book that only a sage few can understand if they have the, the secret sauce, right? And, you know, we, we think about there's, there's been different points in history where whether it's religious groups or political leaders have, have kept the Bible from the common person or kept the Bible out of the language of the common person. So only a few people could have understanding because they could use it to control, right? And when we hear that, we're like, that ain't right. That is wrong. We get upset about that. Why? It's because we believe that God's word is powerful, it's life-changing, and it should be available to everyone. And we believe it should be because we believe that the common person, regular, every day, ordinary people, that's all of us, can understand it. Because if we did not believe that God's word could be understood, we cannot be upset that God's word is not available to people, right? So we believe, do you all believe that God's word can be understood? We do, we do. Now, at the same time, when you think about reading God's word, understanding it, and especially when you get to the point of explaining it to somebody, it's a little intimidating, isn't it? And we're like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't feel qualified. So let me ask you this question. Are you intimidated by the Bible? And not intimidated in the sense of, of like, oh, I, I, can't even, I can't even touch it. But maybe it's a subconscious thing. Do you feel like you're taking a shot in the dark if you're going to explain a passage of Scripture to somebody? Like you're kind of guessing, right? You might not admit this, but do you practically believe that only the pastor can understand and he's got to explain it? Or maybe only people who have a degree, only they can understand the Bible. Or only people who can read original Hebrew and Greek, only those people can really understand, right? We, it's very easy to have these thoughts, maybe even not like at the forefront of our mind, but they're rooted down deep, right? I think it's common for many of us to feel inadequate when it comes to understanding and especially explaining God's word. Okay, do you, guys, do you guys resonate with that? Anybody feel sometimes inadequate? I know I do. But how do we reconcile this, this common feeling of inadequacy with the reality that we all just agreed to out loud that God's word can be understood? How do we reconcile that? I want to give us a, a comforting verse from 1 Corinthians uh, where Paul says, he says, for you see your calling, brethren, I look around you, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not 
to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Where we see throughout scripture that God has given his word not to a special few, but to the everyday, average, normal people, right? Moses, he, he penned down a lot of the scripture. He grew up in a palace, yes, but he wasn't learning the Bible, right? And then he was a shepherd for 40 years before he went back into Egypt. David was a shepherd boy. Peter was a fisherman. Matthew was a tax collector. Paul, we're like, yeah, he had lots of education, but it wasn't a Christian education. He was learning all the rabbinical traditions and all that kind of stuff, right? But these people, these normal people, they learned, they understood, and they communicated God's word, and they grew in it themselves. God has given his word for normal people to understand. Now, in light of this, what I want to do today is something a little bit different, so just we can all just have that in our minds. Today's going to be a little different. I want to cover a simple tool that will help us study God's word, okay? It's the app. We're going to do the app. okay? Now, it's a, the app. it's a simple Bible study method that you can use just in your personal times of reading, you, but you can also use it as you prepare to explain or teach God's word to other people. Now, before youth camp, you probably remember I talked a lot about what is the app, and we also taught it at at, uh, at the Young Men's Bible Study. We, we studied it at youth camp. Uh, some of you guys were here on a Thursday night a couple months ago when Pastor Isaac uh, taught how to do the app. but today I want to share it with all of you, okay? Now, let me just tell you, at the youth camp, we had mostly youth, but we had, you know, mostly teenagers, but there was a, there was a few that were 9, 10 years old, okay? And throughout the five days of camp, we learned how to go through this system, study God's word, and I watched these students get it and learn how to do it. And day by day, their ability to observe and understand and interpret, it grew quickly. It was awesome to see. And even to the point where afterwards, you know, students went home, first thing they told their parents about, we learned to sew nap. Or we asked kids, what's the highlight of your day? And they're like, oh, it was, it was my time this morning by myself with the Bible where I sat and, and did the sewn app. I don't know what I just did, how to use this technology stuff. That is awesome to hear a teenager say that their highlight of their day was studying God's word. So I want to give this to you guys because the teenagers got it, so I'm just going to throw it out there. They can get it. We have no excuses. Um, really quickly, if you did not get one of these, one of these sheets, this is for you guys to take home Put in your Bibles. Uh, Jerry is walking around, so if you do not have one, raise your hand. Jerry will get one to you. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep going. So who is the SONAP method for? I think it's for, it's for anyone, right? Anyone who reads the Bible, anybody can put this into practice. I think it's especially helpful for parents teaching your kids God's word. And right, especially these last few weeks as, as Pastor Ben has really challenged families and especially fathers, he's challenged us to be intentional about leading your family in worship, leading your family in times of the word. This is something that you can take. It's not, it doesn't have to be an hour long. You can take 10 or 15 minutes. You can go through a passage, and then the next morning when you're talking to your kids and your family and you're saying, hey, here's the passage that we're going through, you have an idea, and you know what is coming, and you can explain it to your kids, and you're not just like, well, we think this is what this means. We're going to take our best shot every morning. Right? I think this is also helpful. As I said, it's for kids. It's for young adults. It's for youth who want to study God's word. Right? Because the, there was nine-year-olds who got it, who were making good, solid observations of the scripture on their own. Okay? And then I know there's a lot of you guys in this category who are scholars or seasoned believers. Some of you guys have been teaching the Bible for longer than I've been out of diapers. Right? But I want to say to you, like, I know you have your, your ways, your methods. A lot of you guys are super good at it. Um, but this, just throwing this out, this might be a fresh way, right, to try something different. Just see how it changes your Bible study. But also, also, it is a good tool to be able to teach young believers. Because you imagine somebody who just got saved. They've been walking with Jesus for two months. And you give them this Bible, right? You're like, here's the book, and then you're like, 
And they're like, well, how do I understand it? And you're like, well, I have four books that are this thick, and you need these too. And they're like, that's kind of intimidating. But if you can give them something simple, if you can give them a half-sheet piece of paper that they can put into their Bible, that is, that is useful, that is applicable, right? Now, this is not the only way to study the Bible. This is not the best way to study the Bible, but it is a way to study the Bible. So if you're not really studying the Bible, maybe because you're like, I don't really know how, I don't know what to do, get started here. You might move on to other ways. That's fine. I'm not saying this is the best way, but I, I want to give us all this, this tool. So really quickly, just a quick overview of each letter, and then we're going to go through a passage together, kind of like a live exegesis kind of a thing. Um, so the S stands for Scripture, Right? You take a passage of scripture, you select a passage, maybe just take the next chunk of the book that you're reading. Right? You determine the context. You think about what kind of book is this? What kind of writing is it? Is it poetry? Is it history? Is it, is it a letter from Paul to, to you know, one of the churches or, or to Timothy like we're going to cover today? Right? You ask questions like who's talking? Who's the recipient? What just happened before this passage? What's going to happen after Right? It just kind of puts us in the middle of it so we, we know our surroundings. <clears throat> right? Then we observe, always for observation. You observe the text. You just say what you see. You just say what is there. You're not after what does it mean yet. You just say what it says. And this is actually a way of meditating on the scripture as you just make note of what does the verse say. You're actually meditating on God's word systematically. Right? And then... N is for interpretation, and I know the I just kind of got offloaded because the, the uh, what is that thing called? Not the anagram, the acronym. Thank you, scholars. The acronym doesn't work with an I, so it's interpretation. Uh, it's the phonetical first letter of the word. So interpretation. So once you thoroughly observe the text, what happens is the interpretation will just kind of follow naturally. It'll become very clear. And interpretation, we, ask, we answer the question, what does it mean? Not what does it mean to me. You, if you ask what did, it, what did it mean then, you'll get the answer to what does it mean now because that does not change, right? It means the same thing. And then A, application, we apply. Once we've discovered what it means, we ask the question, what does it mean for me, right? How should I or someone else apply it to my life? And then prayer, we finish by asking the Lord to help us to do Whatever the application was, what the scripture has called us to do, we ask for God's help because this is not just a mental exercise and then we go and do it in our own strength. No, it has to be done by God's grace if we're going to do God's will. So that's the overview. It doesn't sound too complicated, right? So we're going to look at each part a little bit more, uh, a little bit more in depth and we're going to work through a portion of scripture together. So uh, first, uh, we're going to look at the scripture part. Now, uh, this, this, you'll notice your sheet, your, your, your study sheet there. Uh, it is for studying, but it also is a little bit of a, of a sermon outline. So we're kind of covering the same things that are on there. So you select a portion of Scripture. That's step one, right? You might just work your way through a, a book of the Bible in your study time. I'm, personally, I'm in the book of Ephesians right now, just working through it a couple verses at a time because it's, it's meaty, right? For parents... If you're doing this with your kids, you might want to take the next story if you're in a, a narrative, right? And just think of which, how old are my kids, all that kind of stuff. What is applicable for them? Which story are they going to understand at this point? Uh, or you just take the next section of, of Scripture, right? And then you're, you're going to um, determine the context, right? You want to get your bearings. Think about the genre of Scripture. Now, if that sounds really intimidating. You guys understand this because... When you read the book of Proverbs, you're reading it differently than if you're reading the book of Romans, right? Proverbs, a lot of one-liners and, and little bits of wisdom, you don't think about that the same way as when you're reading the book of Romans and Paul is systematically explaining the gospel. You understand it differently, right? Because it's a different kind of scripture. Just take a minute to think about, about that, okay? Then you ask, who is talking, right? Who is writing? What's their circumstance? What's their setting? What's their motivation for writing? Right now, we can't always know that information. Some books, like the book of Hebrews, were like, who wrote it? Nobody knows. Everybody has guesses, but nobody knows. Okay, but when we can know the information, it is helpful. It is helpful. 
Now, if you can't find the answer like immediately like in the text, if you have any sort of study Bible, there's a good chance at the beginning of each book of the Bible, there's a couple paragraphs or maybe a page that kind of gives you an intro, and it tells you that stuff. It tells you who wrote it, when, the setting, all that kind of stuff, kind of gives you that little bit of an overview. We want to ask who's the recipient, right? Who is the author talking to, right? What is their circumstance, right? In 2 Timothy, Paul is talking to Timothy, okay? In diff- at different points in the gospel, sometimes Jesus is talking to the disciples or he's talking to the Pharisees. Making note of that helps us understand Jesus speaks to those two groups of people very differently, doesn't he? Okay, then we want to ask, okay, what, what are three things that happened before, right? One of the sayings in Bible studies you want to read with 20-20 vision, right? 20 verses before, 20 verses after. It doesn't have to be exactly 20 verses, but that's a good gauge to get you an idea of what just happened and what is about to happen, right? You're reminded what, what just happened in the, in the story or if, if, if you're reading like a, a doctrinal letter, what did Paul just talk about, okay? Now, sometimes in like Psalms and Proverbs, um, the chapters are not always connected, right? Psalm 28 does not necessarily give you any information on the context of Psalm 29. Uh, but in other passages, in other types of scripture, they are. Then you ask what's coming next, right? Just, just so you know, uh, it's kind of like you, you read ahead a little bit, um, and that'll kind of give you a better understanding of what is happening currently. Now, I know I took a minute to explain all that, but you can do that very quickly. You can answer those questions. And honestly, if you're studying through a book, by the time you've done it a couple times, you know the answers to that. You just, it's, you don't have to take a few minutes to write that down every single time. You're like, I know this is Paul. He's talking to Timothy. He's in the city of Ephesus. All that, you just kind of get that down. So let's, let's get our passage of scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 2. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to do the first two verses. <clears throat> all right, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says, that was a freebie, by the way, says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So let's, let's, let's go through it, okay? So we selected our passage of scripture. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, we determine the context, and then we ask, okay, who is talking? It's Paul. You look at verse one, it says, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ. Verse two of chapter one, right? Page, maybe it's the page before. To Timothy. Paul makes it very clear a lot of the times, okay? So Paul is writing to Timothy. What are three things that just happened before, right? So you read some of the verses before. You're like, okay, so Paul told Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel, right? He told him, hold fast the pattern of of sound words that you've heard from me. And then in the verses just before, he said, hey, like everybody in Asia has turned away from me except Onesiphorus. He came and he, he sought me out and he found me. Hey, these are things that happened before. You look at the next verse, chapter two, verse three, what's coming next? He says, you're gonna need to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's the, that's the context. We have our, our bearings a little bit. Okay, so now we move to observation. Now we're gonna spend a minute on this because... Uh, observation, I believe, is the most critical step in Bible study, okay? Because diligent observation leads to obvious interpretation, leads to accurate application, okay? We want to do the right thing. We want to do what honors the Lord, but we need to know what God's Word says, and we can't know what it says unless we look at what it says, and we make note of what it says. And when we were doing this at the Young Men's Bible Study in the springtime, and also at the, the youth camp, as we were studying, what became very clear is as we were really, really working on observation, the interpretation just, it just popped out. It just showed up. And then when we got to interpretation, we're like, okay, what's the interpretation? And it's like, well, like, we've, we've said it already. Like, we've, it's very clear. There's no like, well, maybe it means this. When you observe it really, really well, it just shows up in a lot of cases. There, there are some passages in Scripture that are a little bit harder to understand, so I'm not going to say you're just going to observe every single passage and be like, I figured out what this means. Nobody's figured out in the last 2,000 years and come to a conclusion, but I just did. But in a lot of places in Scripture, in the majority, this is what will happen. So in observation, what are we doing? We need to ask, what does it say, not what does it mean? 
Okay, what does it mean is next? But first, we need to ask, what does it say? Now, I know our instinct when we open the scripture is we want to go straight from read the scripture, boom, application. We read it, we say, okay, what does it mean for me? What do I need to do? Because we want to know what to do, right? Or sometimes we're opening the scripture because we haven't in two weeks and now we're desperate. We're like, okay, I got to get back on track. What am I supposed to do? And you just go straight to application. That's the part we love. But the the problem with that, the, the challenge with that is that when we go straight from scripture to application, we end up, instead of asking, what does it mean? We end up asking, what does it mean to me? What does it mean and what does it mean to me are two very different questions, right? A lot of us have probably been to a Bible study that was like pretty informal and we all sat around in a circle and we read a chapter and then we're like, okay, so what do you guys think this means? And then for the next hour, everybody shares their opinions. Well, I think it means this. Well, I think it means this. And then the conclusion is, well, I guess we all think it means different things. And we go our way. And there's never been anybody who said, no, let's, let's look into it. Let's observe it. This is what it means. And so therefore, this is how we should live. It's just, well, I think it means this. And I think it means this. Anybody been to one of those Bible studies or hosted one or done one? I definitely have, Right. But here's the thing, scripture does not have a subjective meaning, does not have a subjective meaning. Every passage in scripture, it has a meaning. It means something, right? One of the things we say is there is one interpretation of every scripture. There's many applications, but there's one interpretation. So because every passage has a meaning, our job is to discover that meaning through diligent observation. What that, what that means is that when Paul was talking to Timothy, he meant something. He had something in mind that he wanted to communicate. That is the interpretation, but we need to first observe and just learn to say, what, is it, what does it mean or what does it say? So then we can land on what it means. We have to take the time to observe and then interpret and then apply it. Now, if you think this seems hard or maybe unnecessary, I want to let you know that you are actually really good at this because you do it all the time. You are constantly observing, you're constantly interpreting what you observe, and you are making application. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> if this truck pulls up into your driveway, you are going to observe it, you're going you're to think about the context, you're going to interpret what it means, and you're going to apply without even trying, right? You look at it, you make observations. <clears throat> you don't you don't sit there and say, well, it's a white truck with purple and orange words. It's got letters on the side. It's got four tires. It's got glass, all these things. But you, you notice those things, and that leads you to, well, you think about the context. Did I order a package? Because that makes a big difference. Because if you didn't, then you're like, something's off. And then you get to the interpretation. I have a package. There's no action yet. There's no application yet. You've just landed on the interpretation. I have a package. And then the application is what? You go to the door or you go outside and get the package. Now, what happens if this vehicle pulls up in your driveway? You are observing things about it. You notice the color. Color's wrong. You notice the type of vehicle. That's not a FedEx truck. You notice the font of the letters. Like I don't see the arrow in the E and the X. If you just saw that for the first time, look, it's there. See the arrow? There you go. It's not there over here. Something's wrong. The vehicle's not super clean. It's kind of an old vehicle. You notice all of those things without even trying. But if you saw this in your driveway, you would observe the vehicle. You consider the context. It's kind of weird, kind of looks fake, and it's at my house. You would interpret, probably danger, okay? Looks like something sketchy. And you would make an application. You would go and lock your door. And all of that is based on the interpretation. Now, if you look out your window and you see a FedEx and you go straight to application, what do you do? You open your door for the creepy guy. But when you observe really well, you notice those things, then you can get the correct interpretation, which leads you to make the right application. It's your observation that informs the interpretation, which dictates the application. And it's the same in God's word. So in this step of observation, right, we slow down and we notice what we see. Right? Here's, here's the visual version. Good application is built on correct interpretation, which is built on a foundation of diligent observation. So don't underestimate this step. Don't underestimate the value of observation because it is the foundation to understanding and applying God's word. Now, 
This is the core. Observation, it is the core. It's the foundation of every Bible teacher's sermon preparation. One of my favorite questions to get asked as a pastor is, so what do you do all week? Well, let me tell you, when Pastor Ben is preparing, his job is not to just invent an inspiring message for you that's, that's sprinkled with scripture. His job, and he spends a lot of time during the week observing the text. He looks at the history. He looks at the grammar. He looks at the Greek and Hebrew words. He looks at other places in scripture so he can present the correct interpretation of the scripture and bases applications from that. We should all be glad that Pastor Men does not do this the other way around. Spend five minutes observing and then create a whole bunch of creative applications from it. We want to know what does the scripture say? What does it actually say? So in observation, what, what do we look for? Now these things are, are on, your, on your sheet, um, but here's some, some questions you can, you can ask to make observations with. Now, just remember, some of you guys are the type of person who love the checklist and I need to do everything that I'm told in the order. You don't have to do every single one of these you don't have to parse every single word in the verse. You can just make a couple in each category and it gives you, it gives you an idea, okay? So the first thing you look for, or one of the things that we look for is repeated words because repetition often indicates emphasis, right? Think of 1 Corinthians. Love, what is, that, what is it about? It's about love and we know because this love is patient, love is kind, et cetera, et cetera. I don't remember all of the words off the, top of my, off the top of my head, so you guys can fill it in. But he says love so many times, you're like, I bet this is a passage about love, right? We get that. And so now not every passage in scripture is so obvious, but when something is repeated two or three times, you're like, maybe we should pay attention to that. Okay. So repetition, you look for words that are repeated. Now, don't worry about the and a and an you can just pass over those words most of the time. Those aren't a big deal, okay? Those aren't the ones you're looking for. You look for unique words, so, so words that you don't see a ton, that you, maybe you don't recognize, because you need to say, okay, what does that mean, okay? How is that word being used? Like the word you come across, the word propitiation, which nobody knows what it means. Uh, we we, we kind of do, but, you know, it's one of those words. It's not used very often, but you look in the other places in Scripture, and you get a basic idea of what does it mean, right? Or you can consult like a Bible dictionary or concordance, right, for uh, a little bit more insight into that, right? We want to look at, at the subjects, right? Who or what is being talked about? And then we look at verbs. And a verbs, you know, they're the actions, right? What actions are taken? What actions are commanded, right? Because every imperative comes from a verb. It's telling us to do something, Telling us to do something, and we want to know what to do. So we're looking for the verbs. Now, when you find a verb, right, especially when it's one that's like in the active voice, right, where it says, do this, rather than this was done, right, passive versus active, it makes us ask questions, right? It, it tells us, well, who should do it? Who should they do it to? How should they do it? When? Why? Verbs make us ask questions, right? And then we have adjectives, words that are describing a person or place or thing. We have prepositions, right? Who doesn't love a preposition? Words that relay position, which actually prepositions are super important in scripture because you read the book of Ephesians and how many times does it say, in Christ you have this, in Christ you have that. And if the word say, and if it says you're in Christ, that means that out of Christ you don't have those things. That's an important preposition, okay? Now, Prepositions, other ones are like in or on or by grace we are saved, through faith, right? With, above, towards, etc. Now I know what you're thinking. Why are we talking about grammar in church? I thought we got away from this, or some of you kids are like, we haven't started school yet. But God communicates through language, and language has grammar, so we know what is what. So if you want to study God's word, you're gonna to have to do some grammar things. I'm sorry to break it to you. We're all in it together, okay? So let's, let's, let's look at this. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna try to get colorful here if my technology will work. So you can look in your Bible, you can look on the screen either way. What are the repeated words? 
there's not really any major repeated words. There's a lot of twos, uh, but, but not really. So we skip that, because not every passage has repeated words or unique words. Probably the closest thing to a unique word I, I could find was commit. Okay, that's not super often, so committing. What are the subjects, right? What or who is being talked about? So we have you. Okay, my son, that's a repetition. Be strong in... Oh, there, there we go. Come back. Technology is great, except when it's not. Okay, so you. We have grace. Grace is a thing. What's the next one? You guys can, you guys can be vocal. That's okay. Christ Jesus. What's the next subject? We have things, right? You have heard from me. Me is somebody among many witnesses. Witnesses are people. Commit these, okay, to men, faithful men, who will be able to teach others. Okay, so there's a lot of people. Now, you, you write these things down, but they, they lead to other things, and we'll get to that in a second, okay? Now, what are our verbs? What are our verbs? Go ahead and, and shout them out. We have you there for my son. Be, be strong, okay? Right, in the graces in Christ Jesus, the things that you have heard, okay, among many witnesses, commit, okay? Commit these to faithful men who will be able, so be able and teach, okay? So those are telling us, those are telling us things. Those are telling us actions. Now, some of those are passive. Some of those are active, right? Be strong and commit. We have adjectives, okay? What are, what are describing things? This is technically an adjective. So it says be, a verb is to be, and then strong is the adjective. So strong is what we should be. There's many witnesses. There's faithful men. So not just any men, but faithful men who are, they'll be able, okay? They're able to teach. And then finally, our prepositions, we have in grace, we have in Christ Jesus, from me, among many witnesses, commit these two faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So there's a lot of information. Now, this is just information in a sense, but, and you don't necessarily have to just write down, okay, here's all the prepositions, here's all the things, but allow them to inform the observations that you make. So, for example, under subjects, right? So we have grace, or we have you, we have grace, we have Christ Jesus, etc. Your observation could look something like this. So it says, you therefore. So Timothy is the you, okay? So Timothy is being talked to. Timothy is the one being encouraged, right? That you've heard from me, I'm gonna skip forward. Paul is talking to Timothy. That's an observation, okay? It's not super deep, is it? Paul is talking to Timothy. No, it's not deep, but it informs your interpretation, right? Grace, that is a thing. And grace, you could write down, grace is how Timothy should be strong. Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the one who supplies the grace. Do you guys see it? Christ Jesus is the one that supplies the grace. Okay, we have witnesses. So many witnesses that were they're, they are the ones who were taught as well because Timothy learned them among witnesses. We have faithful men. So faithful men are who Timothy should be teaching. And then it says others. So there are others that those men should be teaching. So just based on the subjects, we just made a bunch of observations, right? I didn't, you guys can all see that you guys all have the text in front of you. I did not invent anything. I just said what was there. Okay, based on the subject. Now let's look at a couple verbs. We're not going to go through every part of, of grammar, but let's look at a couple verbs. Now, while there are quite a few, let's look at the main verbs, okay, which the two things that, that Paul is telling Timothy is to be strong and to commit. Okay, these are the active, these are the active verbs. Now, I'm just going to clear all this off so we can be a little clearer here. So he tells, us be, he tells him, be strong, which as we said, the verbs make us ask questions. Be strong. Well, how? How can I be strong? In the grace, okay? That answers a question. Where is the grace? The grace is in Christ Jesus, okay? So that verb made us ask some questions, and we can get this conclusion from that. You put it all together, that Timothy needed to rely on God's grace, on God's strength, and he was going to find that grace in Christ Jesus, now, you might notice we accidentally just uh, interpreted. It became very obvious what the interpretation was just based on the applications. What's the second one? We're going to make it a different color. We're going to commit. So commit. Commit these. Commit what? 
Well, you refer back the things that you've heard from me, okay? It's a big underline, but so you got to ask, what are those things? You remember, if you've read the context, you've read chapter one, Paul is talking to Timothy about the gospel. So we can assume that he's not talking about math. Based on the context, he's talking about the gospel. So commit the things that you've learned about the gospel from me. So he's to commit those things. And then commit them to who? He says commit them to faithful men. Okay, you guys can see that in your mind. Picture committing the things that you, lear- that you have learned about the gospel to a faithful, to another believer, right? You can see what that looks like in your mind. You're probably at a coffee shop talking with somebody about the Lord, right? So you're committing them to who? To faithful men, right? What kind of men? Not just anybody, but somebody who is faithful to the Lord. And you're supposed to commit them to faithful men who are able to teach. Okay, that's another observation that we get from commit. Now, all of that, it, these are just observations based on you're picking out things of grammar, you're picking out verbs, you're making note of them, and then you're asking the questions that come from them. Now, just from those two things, right, being strong and committing, you guys can see how a sermon could very easily spring up from that or a devotional or a teaching, right? This is not different than what a pastor does in studying in teaching. You're going through, you're making those observations, and you're communicating them, okay? Now, some other kind of observations that you can make, right, just as you, as you keep looking. When I ask you the question, how many generations of believers do you see in this verse? When you see it, holler it out. Anybody? Four. There's four. You got Paul, you have teaching Timothy, who's teaching faithful men who are teaching other people, okay? Now, think about that simple observation. It seems we could conclude that Paul expected that the people who received the gospel would also be teaching the gospel. That's there. That is not a stretch to conclude that. What does that look like in our life, right? We can conclude that we should be, if we've learned the gospel, we should be teaching the gospel. Another thing, you see Timothy, right? He's learned the gospel from Paul. Things you've heard from me, here's our prepositions coming into play. You've learned it among many witnesses, so he's learning the gospel with other believers, and he's committing them to faithful men. Again, you see another example of maybe what our life should be, that we should be learning the word, that we should be learning the word with other people, and we should be teaching the word to people. Do you guys see an application for that in your life, right? Is my life like that? Do I have all three things, or am I just everything's coming in, but I'm not teaching anybody. I'm not sharing with anybody. Or I don't have people around me who I'm learning with, okay? I didn't make those things up. You can see them all there. They are in the text. Now, you have to make sure you are checking that all with Scripture. When you look and you see a connection, because our brains sometimes, we can see connections like, well, maybe this is connected to this, or it's connected to this, and then you've got like that meme where there's just all the symbols just floating around the guy's head. You guys know what I'm talking about? And you're like, I just discovered something. You need to check it with other places in Scripture, allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. Not every connection that we can make is necessarily correct or scriptural. That's why we have to look at the whole picture of Scripture. So let's move to interpretation. Move to interpretation. Now, you might notice we've spent the bulk of our time talking about observation, and that's on purpose. Because if we observe well, it will lead to clear interpretation. Okay? It comes from diligent observation. So here's some of our rules of interpretation. They're not just random rules that I made up. This is what we see in Scripture. There's one interpretation, but many applications, always. And remember, the, the interpretation is what did the author mean when he was speaking to the audience, okay? So you're asking in interpretation, what does this text mean? You're not asking, what does it mean to me? It's not subjective. The interpretation does not change, right? Like we said, maybe a better way of asking is, what did it mean? What did it mean then? Because it's the same thing now. Like imagine, imagine going back in time to sitting there with Paul, and you're like, hey, I read your letter from Timothy. Man, I want to tell you what I think it means. He's like, what do you mean? And you tell him this, this crazy thing, and he's like, well, you said be strong, be strong in the grace. So I've been working out every day. And he's like, 
It's not what I meant. And we can't argue with Paul. We cannot argue with the author and be like, well, I know it meant that then, but this is what I think it means. We don't have that prerogative. We sit under the authority of God's word. So in observation, we are discovering what did the author mean, right? That's interpretation. What did the author intend to communicate to his original audience? And one of the main ways that we discover that is through careful observation, right? We're discovering the interpretation. We're not creating it because it exists. It's there. Every time you open a passage of scripture, there is the interpretation The meaning is there. It's on the pages, and your job is to discover it. Now, I want to say, knowing that there is something absolute that every passage means is comforting because it means that truth can be known. It means that truth is a knowable thing. Otherwise, we have, well, it means this to me, and that's valid, and well, it means this to me, and that's valid, and what do you end up with? It's called relativism, right? Moral relativism, which means anything goes as long as I think it's fine. That is not true because God's word means something. Now, it's also comforting because it means that God's word is not subject to updates or modernization. The meaning of a passage does not change because time has passed, right? Truth does not change over time. Now, the application of that truth changes, right? When we read passages about not you know, praying to be seen in a synagogue, you're like, well, I've never prayed to be seen in a synagogue. The heart of that passage in Matthew 6 is that we're not praying to be seen by men, but if we're like, well, the application, the interpretation is that we're in a synagogue and I've never been in a synagogue. Yes, you guys see the problem with that. So the application of that passage has changed because you can, be pray, you can pray to be seen before men in a church or in a park or in your home, right? But the truth, the truth has not changed but the application has changed to fit the setting, okay? So in your notes, you'll see there are some guidelines of, of interpretation. This is kind of a little summary of, of, of interpreting, right? It says interpret literally, okay? So the word means what it says. She's not looking for a hidden meaning in every scripture. Interpret historically, so what did it mean then based on the context of the situation and, and interpret grammatically. So what does the grammar communicate? That's how we come to a solid, a correct interpretation. So what is the interpretation of this? What was Paul saying? We've kind of covered it already because we have observed, but Paul was telling Timothy to be strong, to do it by grace, and to find that grace in Christ Jesus. And then he told them to teach what he taught to others and to teach them to do the same, right? Do we all agree? Does anybody have a different interpretation of that that you can see from that? Does it mean something else? Anybody? No. That is the interpretation. Now, can you see an application in your life for that that might look different from everybody else's? Yeah. We all have in our context, how does living out the truth of this verse, what does that look like in your life, in your profession, in your family? It looks different, okay? So we know the interpretation. This is a verse about teaching God's word to other people. This is not a verse about teaching math. It would look good on a math teacher's wall, right? Man, the things you have heard, commit to other people who will teach others. You're like, yeah. But this is not a verse about math. This is not a verse about working out, telling you to be strong. This is a verse about teaching God's word and relying on his strength and his grace to do it, okay? So correlation, you'll see in, in, your, in your notes there, there's a, a little, little bit on correlation, right? This is where we connect scripture with other scripture, right? We look up other places that talk about the same thing, which gives us deeper insight, but it also helps, it provides some checks and balances to our interpretation to make sure that when I say that this passage is talking about teaching, you know, learning the gospel and teaching the gospel to others who will teach the gospel to others, we look at verses like Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where Jesus tells his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we're like, hey, it says the same thing here. That helps us verify, right, what we are coming to, the interpretation that we're coming to. Now, an easy place to find uh, correlation is using a concordance. Some of you guys have the big fat concordance. Um, Most of you, as in the back of your Bible, they kind of make them 
pretty cute these days. So if you've never seen a concordance in the back of your Bible, you have something that looks like this. This is the one in my Bible, and it's, I'll just say cute. It's, it's pretty petite, it's gotta, but you'll see. If I wanna know about grace, because we just read about grace, being strong in the grace, so I'm gonna go look at other places that talk about grace. And so I can look in Romans 5 too. I know that the font is small, but at the very back of your Bible, you might never have been there before, but it's there, most likely. You can read Romans 5 too. You can read 2 Corinthians 12 or Hebrews 4 or 2 Peter, and you, you see how the word grace is used in other places in Scripture, and it gives you a better idea, okay? Just a little, little tip. There's also, uh, there's also Blue Letter Bible um, online that is a good resource. It has a lot. Um, I'll talk about that in a minute. So application, right? Application. How do we apply it? So the rule for application is interpretation before application always. Always land on what does it mean before you land on what does it say. That way, I can't say that 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 is about working out. Because if I go straight to application, I'm like, it says be strong, so I need to go work out. I'm going to put this in my home gym. If you have it hanging in your home gym, sorry, you have a verse out of context hanging in your wall. But if I go to interpretation first, I'm like, this is a verse about relying on God's grace to do God's will, and I'm going to find that grace in Christ Jesus. Oh, this is not about lifting weights. Okay, good. Now I can make correct application. And so instead, I'm going to hang on my wall, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because that is definitely a verse about working out. No, it's not. It's not. So application before interpretation, right? Don't ever break this rule. So once you answer what does it mean, ask what does it mean for me, but never ask what does it mean to me. There's a, like I said, there's a huge difference between those two questions. What does it mean for me and what does it mean to me? Because truth is not subjective, but application is more subjective, how do we apply this truth to our life, okay? Then the last, so with application, you'll see these, these questions are on your sheet. Some questions you can just ask to help think through. Um, sometimes the application becomes very clear and we have the Holy Spirit like prodding us and saying, this is, this is the area that you need to apply this in. I think we've all felt that and that's great, but you can think through these things, okay? Who does a text apply to, right? Men, women, husbands, wives, fathers, etc. How is the text intended to be applied? Where is the text intended to be applied? When is it intended to be applied? What's the best way to apply it? Why should the text be applied? And then what is at stake if the text is not applied, right? What is at stake if 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 is not applied? It means if I don't apply finding my strength in Jesus to do his will, and to preach the gospel, that means I'm doing it on my own strength. How is that going to end up? Bad. So if I don't apply it, I'm not going to be able to do God's will. So I need to rely on God's strength to do God's will and to preach the word. And the last is prayer. Prayer. So once you know how to apply it, we ask for God's help to do so. And just, you know, just a reminder, Jesus said in John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing, right? I know this exercise involves our mind and a lot of thinking through, well, what does it say, what does it mean, let's think about grammar, all that kind of stuff, but we are not called to obey in our own strength. We're not called to just, okay, now I know what to do, now I'm gonna go out and just power through it. No, it has to be his life flowing through us. We can do nothing without Jesus. Paul warns the Galatians in chapter three of the book of Galatians says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? We can't continue. We can't try to pick up where Jesus left off because he hasn't left off. He's gonna give us his grace to obey him just like he gave us his grace to be saved. Okay, so just a reminder, I know this is an, an intellectual exercise and you can do this just with your mind and not let it affect your heart. But once you get to the application, we need to say, Lord, I know what I need to do, but apart from you, I cannot do it. Will you help me? So you pray for yourself and you pray for others, okay? Now, not every text applies to every person, but when, if you think of other people that it applies to, which sometimes is easier, right? Pray for those people, right? Parents, as you're reading passages that maybe apply to your kids, Right? Not that you're beating them over the head with it, but you're, 
you pray that for them. You pray that the Lord would help them to obey their parents because that's practice for obeying the Lord, right? It might not apply to you directly, but it applies to your kids. So you pray that for your kids. You pray it for your friend. Okay, so just quickly a couple resources uh, and then we will we'll close up. Um, what does this look like? I just wanted to, to show this is just a basic like how I do it in my journal. You can just do it on a couple pages, writing out the scripture. I know it's small, but you kind of get the idea. You can at least see the S-O-N-A-P, write out the scripture, answer some of these questions of what's the context, who's talking, make some observations based on the grammar, just okay, a short two sentences of what's the interpretation, and then how do I apply it, right? And then just write out a prayer. You don't have to write out a prayer, but you can. It's helpful for me uh, to do that. Um, so you don't have to spend two hours creating a spreadsheet and a slideshow to show your kids every morning. You can just have this. I keep one of these in my Bible with my notebook, and I use it. I go through it, and you can do that too. Um, and my last slide, just some helpful but not required tools. You can get a concordance, right? You can find them on your phone or you can get a paper one. Strong's concordance is a nice, big, beefy one. Just lists all the verses. You look up a word. Here's all the verses that it talks about. Um, a Bible dictionary. Or you can, uh, if you use technology, blueletterbible.org. Um, it has tons of resources. And on their homepage, kind of scroll down, there is like a five-minute tutorial video. Like, here's an overview of how to use it. So I'm not going to give you the rundown. You can go there and find the rundown. So hopefully this gave us some, uh, equipped us some, and it might be a little rough at first. You start doing it, but I encourage you to do it and get practice at it because teenagers got it down in like five days, four days, and they did it, and they were learning, and I was learning things from them that they saw that I hadn't seen, making observations. So every single one of you can do it. Write this down. Teach it to somebody else, right? This is, this is, hopefully a valuable tool. So let's close in prayer. Um, I think we'll do one more song. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you and we thank you that uh, you have not hidden yourself so that we cannot know you. Uh, You are not secret and your word is not um, some mystical book that only a few people can understand, but you want us to know it. So I pray you to encourage and equip each one of us uh, through this, this tool today Uh, and pray that you would bring it to life in our own times with you and that uh, we would not just gain knowledge, but we would learn uh, to know you uh, and your word and your will for us. We just pray your blessing on the rest of our day in Jesus' name, amen.